Spirit, and fill your people with the fire of your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our gospel reading for today takes us to the village of Cana of Galilee. I've been there. And even though the wine steward in our story tells the bridegroom that he has saved the best for last, the most delicious of all for the guests, I have to stand by the tried and true testimonials of many pilgrims I know that the wine that you can sample and buy in today's modern-day Cana of Galilee, it is definitely not that wine. (laughs) The wine in Jesus' story was the best ever. We have to pay attention to this. The best ever. The wine you buy for a souvenir in Cana... Not so much. In the gospel, the wine was the ultimate gift. A gift of restoration, of life, of health, of well-being. People had come from all over to celebrate this wedding in the village of Cana. Some people might have traveled for days. And the wedding celebration, as was traditional at the time, would last a whole week long. Lots of dinners, lots of parties, lots of singing and dancing, and well, lots of wine. But it ran out. How embarrassing. Will the feast end? We know how the story goes. The wine flows and the celebration doesn't end. Except at that one point at the beginning where it almost does. Panic. Chaos, disgrace. What can be done? Our world encounters crises like this quite often. Economic panic, wars that erupt, political wars and military conflicts. Families torn apart. Even struggles to be recognized and respected to be fully who God has created one to be. Struggles in the church and in society. We're not immune to struggle. And neither was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whom our country celebrates tomorrow. Above all others, neither was Jesus. Neither was Jesus. And so this miracle at Cana of Galilee is revealing a new, a new spark of what the presence of God made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, what God is doing in our world. In his most humble or maybe shy self, the young man Jesus doesn't want to get involved. His mother beckons him to help. They've run out of wine, she says. What concern is that to me? Jesus responds back. Knowing full well what concern it was to him, instead of arguing with her young son, Mary goes and tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. Would Jesus keep silent? Of course not. His mother prompts him to respond. He realizes the crisis and he does something about it. But here's where this is really good. The six stone jugs that Jesus has them grab, well, 
These jars are used for washing hands. They have water in them, yes. But it's not potable water. It's not drinking water. It's not fit to drink or to cook with. This water is to wash the dirt off of your hands for ritual purity. That's all. We would probably be horrified at the sanitation and what kind of water those jugs contained. It was a different time, and this was washing water, not drinking water. But out of those six stone jars of water outflows the most choice, precious, and delicious wine that the wine steward has ever tasted. Jesus takes the most basic and the most ordinary, and the transformation that results is extraordinary. This is transformation with the washing up water so that the party can continue. A blessing in some ways more abundant than anybody would have expected or even asked for. Remember, this blessing was a response to chaos. So think about the chaotic aspects of our world. Global poverty, hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. More than two-thirds of the world live in absolute poverty. And every single person in this room at some point has experienced fear. And some of us have probably suffered injustice or oppression or both. The stuff that makes up a lot of our world is murkier and even more questionable than that washing up water, what that was in Jesus' day. So murky and uncomfortable that we'd rather not think about it most of the time. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to transform this stuff into something clearer, more clear and more delicious and more savory than anything we can ask for or imagine. Because the gospel of Jesus calls us to be like Mary and recognize, recognize the power of God dwelling among us. Recognizing the insights we get when a beloved creator calls us beloved children. Recognizing the invitation to taste and see the goodness of the Lord so that our witnessing of God's actions in the world aren't theoretical. They're not in our heads. They're not just talked about in a discussion group or even written down in our journal. But they're right in front of us in something delicious and abundant and never-ending. Something as simple as glasses of wine flowing at a wedding. And remember... Not modern-day Cana wine, but the best wine that's ever been. This is the start of the inbreaking of God in the world. When we are plunged into chaos, when we're so mired in embarrassment or in pain or in misery, when we think there's simply just no place to land on our feet at all, the blessed wine of Christ's love pours even stronger into our hearts, just in the same way that as the communion wine in the chalice speeds up to connect with your lips, 
the love of God will raise, will race to your aid and strengthen you for the days to come. God is doing new things with us. In the same manner as Jesus began his ministry by transforming the ordinary into the extraordinary, he's doing it with us. We've seen it in our modern era, and I saw it here in a huge way during our Advent and Christmas season. It will continue. The wine will flow. And God's blessings are never going to end. And yes, we'll taste of life. In some way as we continue, we'll get a taste of life itself that in many ways is the absolute best ever. The gospel assures us of this. And I want to close today by honoring the national commemoration that we remember tomorrow when we celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We know the history of civil rights and all of its struggles. We know that Dr. King helped us overcome many national struggles, but his work continues on through so many. In his last remarks before he was assassinated in 1968, the very last thing he ever said publicly, Dr. King addressed a group of sanitation workers in Memphis. They were down on their luck. They were mired in chaos. And in his address, Dr. King tells them about the trials that he faced in Birmingham and in Atlanta and in Montgomery and places all over the United States. He talks about, in this speech, various near-death experiences that happened to him. He talks also about the surprises that he felt of people who came to his aid in very unexpected places. And he also talks in this speech about his future and the future in general. A future... That is murky, uncertain, a messy future, not at all, all that salubrious, kind of like that water that resided in those stone jugs. His last words. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, the future might be murky. Our lives, uncertain, and even parts of our lives might plunge into chaos. But on the other side of chaos is the most delicious, abundant, and endless portion of life that we'll ever know. 
the best. Imagine how Christ can take you and transform you and pour you out to bless others in your family, in your country, and in the world. The celebration is not going to end. The feast begins again today.